Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Aren't you glad for His mercies? And they never run out. 2020, people were terrified that some things were going to run out. I won't mention what it was from the pulpit, but people were scrambling because they didn't want to run out of things. But God's mercies are new every, every morning. They never run out. I'm thankful for that. My name is Micah Self. It's easy to remember because my last name is perfect for dad jokes. Every picture I'm in is a, a selfie. I'm a selfish preacher. It could go on and on. I actually had a roommate my freshman year of college. My senior roommate made a list of every self word he could think of. And I walked in the dorm, stubbed my toe on a metal bunk bed, and in the midst of my agony, he goes, huh, self-inflicted, check. <laughs> True story. And I thought, I'll show you self-inflicted. <laughs> so now you'll be able to remember my name. The Lord has been good to let me travel in evangelism for 10 years. I told the Sunday school this morning, I've been in 14 different countries, 45 states, and Alabama. They're just their own thing down there. I grew up in Colorado, and so I'm very used to Western culture, feel very comfortable in the West. And, and Southern people are great, but I would just walk around in the South, and they'd just look at me and be like, he ain't from around here. And they could just tell. But it's good to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you look with me at the book of Psalms? And we're going to look at Psalm number 4. Psalm number 4. While you're turning, I'll share a bit of my testimony. I grew up in a Christian family, and at five years old, my mother told me that I prayed a prayer. Now, I don't remember it. And then about nine years old, we had a vacation Bible school, and all of my friends went forward to go to heaven, and I thought, well, heaven sounds better than the other place, so I'll go forward too. But I didn't understand the gospel. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, the Bible says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was very religious, he said to him, you must be born again. And so salvation is so much more than saying a prayer so you don't have to suffer when you die. It's about the fact that we are born inherently selfish and self-serving, and we don't just sin because we're good people who sometimes do bad things. The Bible says we're selfish people who sometimes try to do good things. And salvation is not just a prayer to escape hell, but it's putting your faith in Jesus who died for your sin, your rottenness, took your sin in his body. And when he rose from the dead, he wants to offer you not just a new retirement home when you die, but new life inside now. 
And so if you have not put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins, it's not enough to know about him in your head. It's not enough to just believe that he died on a cross for the sins of the world. You must choose to put your faith in Jesus to save you from yourself, from your own sin. And and God does not do it reluctantly because from before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb slain. God does not save you because he has to. God saves you because he wants you. And he doesn't want you because you're good. He doesn't want you because you deserve it. He wants you because as the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. I have to confess that the rain this morning, it might be my fault. Let me explain why. This past week I was speaking for a teen retreat and they booked the venue for me to be preaching in the afternoons and late evenings outside. And so I posted on my Facebook, would you pray for teens' hearts that they'd be touched by the Word of God and pray for my heart that it doesn't disintegrate because it's so hot outside. And so people around the country were praying that it would cool down and it worked. So if you don't like the rain, my bad. But just this, this other day, I was counseling with a teenager and he came to me. He said, I, I grew up in Christianity, but I've struggled with depression. I've attempted suicide. I've made mistakes, and I don't feel like I deserve a church that loves me. I don't feel like I deserve to have God in my life. I don't feel like I deserve God's blessings. And he was just very open and transparent about his struggles and very honest. And I said, well, I'm going to say something that's going to shock you at first, but let me finish before you get upset. I said, the truth is you don't deserve any of those things. You don't deserve a church that loves you, and you don't deserve God to bless you. But that's why we believe in grace and not karma. Karma is you get what you deserve. Grace is you get better than you deserve. And so if you want to know God, you can't come to God and say, God, I'm not as bad as my cousin, or I'm not as bad as the person down the street, or I'm not as bad as those people partying last night in Tucson. No, you have to come to God and say, God, I have made mistakes. I am broken, and I need your grace. And when you recognize that you don't deserve it, that's when you will really realize how much God's love is for you. And so at 12 years old, I was coming under conviction of my sinfulness. I knew that I had lied, I had been disobedient, and every sin is a big sin. Because every time you sin, you're basically saying, God, I don't care what you said, because I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care about you, because I'm going to do what I want to do. Sin, in essence, is self-worship. It's exalting yourself above what God wants and above what others may need from you. And at 12 years old, I was convicted, but I was too scared of what people in my church would think of me because I knew if I got saved, I'd have to stand in front of the church and give a testimony. And that was terrifying because people are scary. And I was afraid that then I would have to get baptized and I didn't want everyone looking at me. And it was about that time that the Left Behind series was coming out. Does anybody remember the Left Behind series? They're like horror novels for Christians. (laughs) And so my friend would play those on the way to soccer practice. And one day I came home and I fell asleep and my whole family went out for a walk. And I woke up and nobody was in the house. And I thought that I missed the rapture. Now God had already been convincing me of my sin and that I needed to trust Jesus. But that was kind of him pushing me over the edge, if you will. In kindness, saying, if you don't trust Jesus, you're going to be left behind. Not because that's what God wants, because God is not willing that any should perish, but God also gives us the dignity of choice. God won't force you to worship him and love him forever. 
God isn't going to force you to live in a place where it's all about His glory if you want to live for yourself. But if you want a world where God is king and God fixes this world and we worship Him and it's all about Him, then you can have that world and it comes through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ who gives you a clean heart. And so 12 years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. At 13, I was at a camp sitting in the back and I remember I was being called to preach and I didn't want to do it because... I was very shy. I was always the smallest one. People say, why do you have a beard? Because I look 15 without it. No one would let me preach. <laughs> and so this is necessary. Uh, otherwise, I get ID'd just before I get into the pulpit. <laughs> and so I was, I was small. I hit my growth spurt really late. If you, if you know anything about music, as a freshman in high school, I could sing a high G. That's higher than some of the ladies in your choir this morning. And that's terrible because I had to sing in the girls' section, and I was so small, none of them even liked me. And so I'm, at 13 years old, I'm saying, God, there's no way I could be a preacher. Nobody wants to hear Mickey Mouse preach the gospel. <laughs> and I remember at the same time as I was arguing with God, the Holy Spirit said through the preacher, it's not about you, it's about what God can do through you. And anything that counts for God's glory in the Christian life has to be done by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so this morning, we're not here to show everybody how righteous we are because we're not. He is righteous. We're not here to show off our nice clothes, our talents, our abilities, our cars. We're not here to, to give a presentation of what wonderful people we are. We are here to show the world that we have a wonderful Savior. And the title of this message, if I had to give it one, would be, There is Hope. There is Hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for saving me. I am by no means perfect or flawless, but your mercy is more. Your grace is greater than sin. And I pray this morning that Jesus Christ would be magnified that your word would be understood, that I would preach the text and not my own thoughts. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that he would move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at Psalm 3 and 4, they are written at the lowest point in David's life. Look at chapter number 3 briefly and what it says in verse number 1. Psalm 3, verse number 1, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. We like to focus on the positive aspects of David's life. David and Goliath. David, the incredible warrior. David, the man after God's own. But David actually went through quite a bit of suffering. If you remember, his own father didn't respect him. Samuel comes to anoint the new king, and Jesse brings in all of his sons. And even Samuel, who had known that Saul, the tallest, blew it through his pride, immediately looks at the tallest son and said, that must be the one. And God says, Samuel, why are you looking at the outside? You already had a tall king, and how did that go? And so Jesse brings in all of his sons and Samuel had already said, God has chosen one of your sons. And, and Jesse goes, well, that's all of them. And doesn't even think to bring David in until Samuel says, you have to have one more. 
So what does that say about David's relationship to his father? It says that his father probably didn't care for him very much, did he? And yet David had a father in heaven who saw through all of his pain and rejection and loved David for who he was because our God is a God of grace. And he chooses the despised things of the world to confound the things that are noble. And then David becomes a great warrior. He delivers Israel. And does Saul congratulate him and welcome him? Saul gets jealous and tries to stick him to the wall with a spear. David eventually becomes king, but there are fractions in his kingdom between Joab and the other warriors, and there's difficulties and challenges and constant wars that David is having to fight. And then we know that David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and it splintered his family. His own son was committing immoral acts with his half-sister, and then Absalom kills that son and, and many other of his children. And now David is running for his life from his own son. He's in the desert, and he's scared for his life. And this psalm is written at the lowest of the lows. Let's look at what David says now in chapter number 4. These psalms have been called the day and the night psalms. So Psalm 3 was written during the day when David was terrified. And Psalm 4 is written at the night when he made it through the day alive, running from his son. And David says in verse number 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity or worthless things and seek after leasing or lying in dishonesty? And then he says, Selah. We don't know exactly what that word means, but it's basically a break in the song to reflect on what you just heard. So let's reflect on these first two verses. What we see first of all in these verses is the distress of the saint. The distress of the saint. Would you not say that in the world today, people are facing a lot of distress? In working with young people the last five weeks at camps, I have recognized that what we call mental health, discouragement, depression, anxiety, I have never seen in my life so many teenagers that struggle with their, their emotions, self-esteem, depression, anxiety at such a young age. But you know what? The truth is, there is hope. When many people look at America today, they see nothing but distress. What has happened to our country? What has happened to our political system? What is going to happen in our future? But you see, David, in the darkest times of his life, his, his hope was not in his ability or in his military. His hope was not in his talents as a king. His hope was in God. Do you believe that no matter the circumstances, that God can bring good out of evil? We know it in our heads, but do we believe it in our hearts? David said, I'm going to look at the past, at how you have already delivered me and is going to give me hope for the future. Have you ever had an answer to prayer? Has God ever brought you through a difficult time? 
Have you ever gone through something that you thought you wouldn't make it through and you did and when you look back you said, I don't know how, to make, how I made it through that. It must have been that God was with me. So when we look to the future, let's not forget what God has done in the past. The hope of the world is not dependent on the United States of America. The hope of the world is dependent on Jesus Christ. Because there was a time when there was no America and the gospel still went forward. There was a time when Christians were thrown into jail and beheaded and persecuted and there was no religious freedom and people still got saved. The hope is not in a political party. The hope is in Jesus Christ. Now we know this in our head, but does it comfort us in our day-to-day life? I grew up in a good conservative family. And whenever Rush Limbaugh was on, the radio was on. My brother has carried on the tradition and his morning devotions consist of Ben Shapiro and this psychologist named Peterson and, and occasionally Sean Hannity and that's kind of his trinity. <laughs> but what I found is the more you listen to these people, they don't usually bring you peace. They usually just make you ticked off. Because they tell you how everything is wrong and how we need to rise up and fix it. And if God calls you to be active in politics, I'm thankful for the freedom to vote. But if all of your hope is in politics, you're going to live in a very dark world. You're going to live in a very depressed world. If your hope is in the United States of America, who since the 60s has been aborting children, Vietnam, Watergate, America has a lot of sin on its hands. If your hope is in this country, you're going to be very let down. But if your hope is that there is a God and there is a gospel that still changes people's lives, then you're going to see that there's something bigger than the kingdom of earth. There is something to live for, and it is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And so David, at the darkest point of his life, said, I'm not going to run to anywhere but God. In Psalm 63, David says, O God, thou art my God. And he uses two different words for God. It's, O God, the God of majesty and grandeur. Thou art my God. It's the word El, God of power. David says, he, he wrote this Psalm 63 also during the time of running from Absalom. He says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My flesh longeth for thee, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry and weary land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen it in the sanctuary. Do you want to have a comfortable life or do you want to see God's power and God's glory in your life? Do you want to have economic security or do you want to know that people are coming to see the glory of God through your life? You see, David was at the lowest point of the lows. What else caused David distress? Look at verse number two. He said, oh, ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long are you going to mock me for serving God? How long are you going to live for worthless things and seek after lying? We've recognized that in the job market today, there is a, a lack of workers. I was at a, a part of Michigan recently and they were offering $15 an hour to work at Taco Bell, and that's not even the, the minimum wage. They're just trying to hire workers. And they were offering $300 just to sign up to work before you even worked your first day, just because they're desperate for workers. And I thought, what? Why is it that, that we're having trouble finding workers? Well, I think one of the reasons is one of the number one jobs everybody wants today is, is a YouTube star, right? If you can 
be goofy enough or do enough dumb things, lots of people will watch you be stupid. And you can make a lot of money for it. And I've watched a few of them and laughed my head off at those people, right? But what is that really? The Bible says that when you live to make money quick, it makes itself wings. And it flies away. And we live in a society that worships celebrities and sports and money and fame and position. And David was distressed when he looked around at the people of God and saw that they lived for vanity and nothingness and worthlessness. When there is a God who is worthy to be praised, when there is a God who can satisfy, when there is a God who is worthy to be worshipped, the world lives for things that don't matter. But hasn't it always been that way? Since the first sin, have men not sought their own glory and their own greatness and not God's? You see, there's no room for pride in our lives because anything good that comes to us came by the grace of God. You could have been born in a country where you would work twice as hard as you do now and never have what you have, but you're blessed to be in the United States of America. And so, yes, you've worked hard for what you have, but had you been born somewhere else, you could work twice as hard and not have it. Instead of being proud, we should be thankful for the grace of God. Because every good and perfect gift cometh from above. And David looked at the pride of people who followed after lying and dishonesty. When I look at America, I, I'm so thankful for my country, the people who died so that we could be free. I will never cease to be grateful for this country. And yet also from our country has come Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and cults. Because freedom always has a price. But has the world not always been full of lying and dishonesty? And David looked at the brokenness of the world and he said, it causes me distress to see so many people forsaking God and turning to the false preachers and the false prophets. And we see the distress of the believer. Are, are you in distress because of the world? Distress because of the state of this country and distress because of the state maybe of your family, things that are going on in your own life? David, too, understood this distress. But then we will see in verses 3 and 4 the deliverance of the saint. Look at the deliverance of the saint in verse number 3. David says, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, say law. Okay, let's pause again and reflect on those two verses. The Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. Now, when I read this, I thought, what? How could, how could David say that he was godly? David had committed murder. David had committed adultery. How could David say to God, you will hear my prayer because I am godly. Because David's righteousness did not come from himself. David's righteousness is from the Lord. I want to ask you this question. Have you recognized in your life that anything good in you is because of the grace of God? Anything good. If you're hardworking, God gave you a body that could work hard. 
If you come from a godly family, your family isn't godly because of how good they are, but because of God's grace that came and saved your family. If you're intelligent, who made you that way? If you're good looking, who made you that way? If you have a gifted mind in business or finance, who gave you that mind? Because I guarantee you, I would love to have been born with that mind. I would love to have been born six foot two and 240 pounds of muscle, but that just didn't happen. Anything good about you has come because of the grace of God and your godliness and your relationship to God is from himself. Now, that's either humbling because you're proud or it's encouraging because you're humble. If you're battling sin, if you're battling temptation, if you're battling guilt and shame, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not your sin. You are a child of God. If you are struggling to overcome some sort of addiction, if you are struggling to overcome depression, if you are struggling to overcome mistakes of your past that pop back into your mind and remind you of how wicked you are, you are not your mistakes through faith in Jesus Christ. You are clean and you are loved and you are accepted. And David could say, God, in spite of all my mistakes and all of my problems and all of the things that I have done wrong, I know you will hear my prayer because I am godly. And David was not godly because of his own efforts or righteousness. David was godly because his faith was in a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Whatever temptation or trial you're struggling with, maybe it's difficulties in your marriage, maybe it's difficulties with your children, I can tell you that there is a God who will look past your mistakes and when you put your faith in Him, He can change your heart and give you hope. There is hope. But where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? God may use a counselor, but without the Spirit, it'll fall apart. God may use a doctor to heal your body, but ultimately the healing comes from Him. If we share the glory of God with anything or anyone else, we have stolen what belongs to Him alone. And David said, God, you are my deliverance. The Lord will hear me when I call unto Him. The book of Philippians says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't always take away the problems, but God can give you peace in the midst of the storm. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the middle of distress, pain, persecution, frustration, rejection, financial difficulty, that God can be with you and you can come out of it on the other side because there are things that are greater than challenges. There is God in his spirit and his word. Do we have faith? Have you found your righteousness in God? Some people think, oh, I'm going to heaven because, you know, I prayed a prayer one time. That's not about a prayer. It's about faith in a person, and his name is Jesus. Well, I think I'm going to heaven because I got baptized. Oh, the, the water doesn't wash away your sins. It's Jesus who took your sins on the cross. Have you put your faith in Jesus? 
Well, I've gone to church my whole life. I've always believed. It's not just believing that there's a God and believing the doctrines. You have to, from your heart, believe on Jesus himself to save you from your sin and make you a child of God because you are born a child of wrath. Have you agreed with God that you are sinful and helpless and that only he can save you? Have you found your righteousness in Jesus Christ? If you have not, you are not a child of God. It doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you've read. It doesn't matter how much you know. What matters is have you been born again through faith in Jesus Christ? And if you have not done that, then according to the word of God, you are a child of wrath and you will be separated from God. But today, you can put your faith in God and he will deliver you from your sins and the punishment of your sin and give you eternal life. In verse number four, David writes about his deliverance, stand in awe, be in awe of God and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Part of knowing God is spending time with him. Part of knowing God is being in awe of who he is. I've been blessed to travel a lot and do a lot of work with children and Everywhere you go, people say, you look like so-and-so. And And I I just tell people, I just have one of those faces. I look like every skinny white guy with a beard. (laughs) And I went to this one church, and they had a a picture up, and the youth pastor brought his three- or four-year-old son and and pointed out my picture, and my hair was a little longer then, and my, my beard was a little thicker. And he said, son, do you know who that is? And his son went, Obi-Wan Kenobi? And so I showed up to this church to preach, and I went up to this little boy, and I said, hi, how are you? And he just went, wow. (laughs) He thought his dad got a movie star to come to church to preach, and the whole time I was speaking, he just mouth open. He was in awe, and and I just thought, I'm just glad I, I never told him that I wasn't because I just let him enjoy it. But he was in awe because he thought I was some actor from TV. And we can be in awe of this person who has great athletic ability or awe of somebody's intelligence. But what was the last time we stopped and we were in awe of God? Sometimes we separate our emotions from God. And and, and Christianity isn't about how you feel. It's about the truth. But what was the last time you actually experience the presence of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, doctrine is the soil from which the fruit of the Spirit grows. And if you have the doctrine, but you're not experiencing the living life of God, all you have is a head knowledge. And David said, in your time of distress, you need to get away and be still and commune, eat, talk, think, reflect, get alone with God. What was the last time when your problems were pouring down on you instead of running to your coping mechanism? Mine happens to be chocolate ice cream. Instead of running to your phone to numb out on social media, instead of binging Netflix, instead of getting on YouTube and going into the black hole and not knowing where you are three hours later. Instead of complaining, maybe some of you it's some sort of drug or substance. What was the last time in the depths of your distress, instead of running to things of the world, you ran to God and you got still and you got quiet and you got alone and said, God, I don't just want to know about you. I want to experience you. Do you know about God or do you know God? 
Because you can have all of the right doctrines and carry the right Bible and wear the right clothes and listen to the right music. And you can not go to the bad places and still not experience God in your life. There is a difference between religion and relationship. And sometimes we say, well, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship because I prayed that prayer 20 years ago. But are you walking with God today? Is God working in you today? Is the Spirit filling you today? What was the last time you communed with God? So we see the distress, we see the deliverance, and then let's look finally at the delight of the saint. Look at what David says in verse number five. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Live a good life and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? There's no hope. And David says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. God, look upon us in our distress. And look at verse number seven. This is a beautiful verse. Thou, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. God, in the midst of my, my struggles and my difficulties, you put gladness in my heart more than when they made it big. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than when they got a new car. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than when they got a promotion. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than when they made it big. God, you have put gladness in my heart more than when the, Mil when the Milwaukee Bucks won the championship. You have put gladness in my heart more than when they got a new boat. David is saying, God, in the midst of my distress and my persecutions, when I look at the world and everything is wrong, when my own son is trying to kill me, when I've lost the kingdom, you have done a supernatural work of putting gladness in my heart above when it's harvest time and everybody is celebrating food and drink. Is that real in our lives? The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you see, that's not something you work up. The joy of the Lord is not something that you fake. It's not something that you're driving to church and you're stressed out. And I was a little stressed this morning because I'm supposed to be the guest speaker and I barely made it in time. I was dodging, I was dodging Lake Tucson on the way here. <laughs> Swerving around, hit a couple puddles, nearly spun out. And so I'm trying to get here and I'm thinking, oh, what's the pastor going to think? You know what, Lord? It doesn't matter what he thinks. I'm late. It happened. I'm human. I'm just going to try and love people today. So we walk into church and we're all stressed and we've been yelling at people and we're angry and then we walk in and the joy of the Lord just comes over us. Hey, brother. So good to see you, sister. And then we get in the car and it's like, pastor preached too long. The joy of the Lord is not something that we work up. You know, just put on your happy face. It's not something that you fake. It's something that comes from God dwelling in you. And the joy of the Lord might look different on each one of us. Some people just walk around smiling all the time. I'm like, my face literally hurts after five minutes of that. 
So you don't have to be like somebody else's joy. You just have to let God's gladness and joy and peace come into you because your rest and your hope is not in a country or a financial situation or what people think of you or your success. Your joy is not in how well you've been doing spiritually lately. Your joy is in the fact that there is a God who has accepted you and loved you because of what he did for you and not what you did for him. Can you rest today in God's love and acceptance? Will you walk out of church today with God's gladness in your heart knowing that he's got it? He's got it. He's got it. What you're going through, he's got it. What you're suffering, he's got it. The mistake you made that keeps popping up in your mind and guilting you, he took that and he threw it into the sea. And you know who's reminding you of that? That's the devil, not the Holy Spirit. And you can say, oh, no. It's not always self-talk. Sometimes it's Satan talk. It's those wily darts that don't want you to have the joy of the Lord because you don't deserve it because of your sins. That's right, you don't deserve it. And that's why it should let you glorify God because the good things in your life are because of his grace. Can we walk out of here with gladness in our heart because we have the Spirit of God? And it comes from the work of God in us, not something we work up, not something we earn. It comes from communing with God and believing in God and resting in the gospel of grace. God wants to give you gladness in your heart, but some of you are trading it. Some of you are trading the gladness that God wants to give you to fit in with a culture that's shallow. Some of you are trading the gladness that God wants to give you to chase a dream of making it big. Some of you are trading the gladness that God wants to give you because you're comparing yourself with everybody else and saying, woe is me, instead of enjoying what God has given you here and now. If you want to change the way you view the world, God has been teaching me thankfulness is the key. Thankfulness is the key. In verse number eight, David says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. David was at such a low point in his life that no one could help him other than God. And David was thankful for the presence of God in his life. So I want you right now to pause and think of three things you're thankful for. When you get up tomorrow morning and it's Monday and it's raining again and the weather is depressing... Think of three things that you can thank God for. When you're driving home and you're hungry and you're starting to get hangry and the lunch line is too long at your favorite Mexican restaurant and you're standing there and they didn't bring you chips and salsa while you were waiting in line, think of three things you can be thankful for. Because in Hebrews 13, it says the sacrifices of God are the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Aren't you thankful for a God that never lets us down? And so today, let's leave with gladness in our heart, thankfulness, knowing that no matter what's going on in the world, we have a God who has delivered us from our sins, and we have a God who delights in putting delight in our heart above what the world can give. What are you trading for the delight of God? What is it that if you just had that, you would be happy? If this would just change, then life would be great. Can you today... Let go of whatever it is in the world that's holding you back and embrace the acceptance that God is for you because he is good.